blessings, all my 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 blessings. I need my blessings every penny, daily counting every single one I'm seeing plenty. Thanks for rolling in today. We're going to talk a little NFL as we have some real highlights. I haven't been particularly paying close attention to the NFL Combine. I don't think it's super exciting. We'll get more of that as we actually head closer to the draft at the end of April. Watching, you know, Sauce, the corner from Cincinnati, try different sauces wasn't particularly appealing to me. Uh, some of the measurements were fun, but of course we have the, the ever going on controversy of are the hand-timed 40s really the most accurate and all that other junk. So I'm sure we can have the Kenny Pickett, the Pittsburgh quarterback, hand size discussion another day because that was one of the highlights for a full day. So a lot of that junk can wait till the actual NFL draft. But let's get into some of the highlights uh, today. Carson Wentz was flipped to the Washington Commanders for a 2022 third round pick and a 2023 conditional third round pick that could become a second rounder, according to NFL insider Ian Rappaport. I assume the 2023 conditional pick, I assume, is going to be attached to playing time or snaps on the field. So it's very likely that we could have a 2022 third rounder and a 2023 second rounder uh, to the Colts in exchange for Carson Wentz. It's also a swap of 22 second round picks, moving the Colts to 42 and the Commanders back to 45. So a switch of five spots. The Colts have already released T.Y. Hilton, tackle Eric Fisher, and tight end Jack Boyle is retiring at the age of 31. So the offense will look a lot different next year. Of course, general manager. So the offense will look a lot different next year. Of course, general manager Chris Ballard, never one to sit on his hands, will have to rebuild that offense with all those pieces gone around Jonathan Taylor and presumably Michael Pittman Jr., who stepped up a little bit last year. Those two combined account for less than $3 million against the cap this upcoming season. While shipping off Carson Wentz pushes the available cap room for the Colts from roughly $40 million to about $70 million, just under $70 million of available cap space out of the newly announced $208.2 million available for this upcoming season, up from $182.5 million last year, which was a slight decrease from 2020 due to the pandemic. So $208 million is roughly our target number this year. And the Colts now was $70 million to play with after shipping off Carson Wentz. And the two key offensive pieces right now on rookie deals still accounting for less than $3 million going into this season. The Colts do not have a first rounder this year, so getting a additional picks is certainly a help. They have the pick 42 now in the second rounder, after the pick swap, they have two in the third, a fourth, a couple in the fifth, and a few late rounders as well. So the pick exchange does help the draft capital in moving forward. I think it'll be exciting to see what the Colts can do from here, what Chris Ballard will put together. The division will still be very winnable. The Titans, of course, are in the way. The Texans, we still don't know what the hell is going on there. Jacksonville, 
We don't know. So what is the plan going to be at quarterback? The trade for Washington is a little bit questionable. For me personally, this trade isn't super exciting. It doesn't really move the needle. Winston have a 27 touchdown to 7 interception ratio last year. 3,500 yards, 62% completion percentage. Nothing to scoff at, but I just don't think he really moves the needle as far as moving into a more competitive uh, playoff team. It also completely shrinks the available cap space that Washington had to really make moves. So we'll see what they do making forward. Their division also isn't terribly threatening right now. I don't know who you're scared of with Daniel Jones and the rebooting Giants yet again. The Dallas Cowboys, everyone's questioning cutting Amari Cooper. Should that come to pass? As of the time of recording, he is currently still on the roster, but he would save a tremendous amount of cap room for the Cowboys and give them uh, some, some cap space to work with instead of being over the cap. So that's certainly still a possibility and a likelihood. And the Eagles may have overachieved last year with the talent that's on the roster. We'll see with Jalen Hearns, but it doesn't take a whole lot probably to keep yourselves in the conversation for that, to push for a playoff spot. I'm not sure that they upgraded enough to really differentiate themselves from the rest of those squads. Transition to a much more interesting move. Russell Wilson, in a massive trade, moved to the Denver Broncos. Seattle will receive quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Font, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, pick number nine in the first round this year, a second rounder in the fifth rounder this year, and a second and a first and second rounder next year. So first, second, fifth this year, first, second next year. So the number nine pick overall this year, as well as Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Font. Drew Locke's contract is expiring at the end of this year, as is Noah Font. Shelby Harris has got two years left, and he is the big get here. Of course, Drew Locke is kind of a placeholder. We'll see what the Seahawks do at quarterback. Noah Font will hopefully be productive in that offense. But this is a big move for Seattle. Pete Carroll is in his 70s. He's the oldest coach in the NFL. He's double the age of a handful of the younger dudes there. So big changes coming for Seattle. You have to wonder if Pete might be looking to retire maybe at the end of this year. He's he's older. He's got to be got to be looking towards the end here as it could be a full rebuild for Seattle. Bobby Wagner has already been cut, so we're going to see huge changes on both sides of the football in Seattle. You have to wonder what this team is going to look like heading into next year and that competitive division with the Niners, the Rams, and the Cardinals, who are scrambling to make sure that they lock down Kyler Murray. So it's hard to see Seattle making a lot of noise, obviously, with the roster they have now, and that'll be a team to keep an eye on heading into the draft. Russell Wilson walks into a phenomenal situation that we thought last year was set up right for just a quarterback to come in and take over that team. Uh, in addition to Russell Wilson, the Broncos also get a fourth round pick. So there's that. Uh, he walks into, obviously, a division with the Chargers, Chiefs, and the Raiders who have to be in panic mode. The memes online are ridiculous. That division, obviously, now home to Patrick Mahomes. 
and Justin Herbert. So Derek Carr, whether the whether you think he's a top ten quarterback or not, is automatically at this point penciled in as the number four quarterback in that division heading into the season, which is tough. Very, very tough. So the Raiders are gonna be in full, full panic mode right now. And that division as a whole, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're not getting much sleep and planning on how to disrupt these quarterbacks and these offenses. Of course, everyone is excited about the new weapons on that offense, or I should say the new weapons for Russell Wilson, the weapons we've been watching with Teddy Bridgewater. But we have Jerry Judy, of course, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick. Hopefully everyone will be healthy for that wide receiver core. Melvin Gordon will be returning at running back with Javante Williams. That's all great. The offensive line doesn't need to be elite, but we do need that is a you know a possible concern, and uh, that was a very middling group last year, especially in the interior. They were gave up 28 sacks last year, which was towards the bottom of the league. So, if there's one wart right now on that offense, it might be the interior of that offensive line. Now, nevertheless, Russell Wilson is a Denver Bronco. Stock down for Seattle and the rebuild. It will be exciting to see what happens there. And Denver, top of the watch list, heading into 2022. I would like to take one moment and point out a certain sports news outlet has been floating out that Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in Denver since Peyton Manning. And I'm really confused by the message behind that statement. First of all, Peyton Manning was seven years ago and not 17. Almost half the league could make a case that they've had equivalent or worse quarterback play during that span. Manning also didn't equal a Super Bowl when operating in his prime. He won the MVP in 2013, but the Broncos won Super Bowl 50 in 2015 when Brock Osweiler was better statistically and with on-the-field performance, and combined they threw for more interceptions than touchdowns during the Super Bowl winning season over the Panthers. Osweiler essentially drug Peyton Manning's corpse through the end of the regular season, setting up a, a Cinderella run for Peyton to grab the reins again heading into the playoffs because Osweiler was also not productive. And the coaching staff was able to reasonably make a change back to Peyton heading into the playoffs. So recent history in Denver does not correlate strong quarterback play. Ooh, say that 10 times fast. Strong quarterback play in Denver doesn't correlate with winning titles. So I'm not sure what message that sends, that Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in Denver since Peyton Manning. The Broncos do still have cap space. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention that. They have about $26 million in cap space. And while Russell Wilson will be making about $24 million this season and $27 million in 2023, Mr. Aaron Rodgers will be making close to $47 million this year in a projected well, $50 million per year with a four-year $200 million extension. So we don't know what the numbers are going to look like. Of course, Aaron Rodgers tweeted that not everything has been sorted out yet. So I guess we're to assume that not everything has been sorted out yet. I don't know. Don't know what to make with news from that. We have reporters that are so close with 
office officials and, and top GMs that we should have very close details, and then we have players saying the opposite. It just seems like we should have pretty good accuracy on a lot of those things, but we have people talking out of out of both sides of their mouth. It's hard to understand why we can't get exact details. Nevertheless, we should have those contracts. His contract information very soon, I would assume, and he's going to cut into the cap big time. Green Bay is currently somewhere around $45 million over the cap, so they're going to have to figure that out. Pro bowlers Darius Smith, edge rusher, is on the chopping block. They could save a good chunk of change by chopping him, and that would be problematic for the defense. Devontae Adams has already been franchise tagged. The franchise date has come and gone. He will be a part of the team heading into 2022. The Rodgers and Adams contracts will take up around 35% of the total available cap space for the Green Bay Packers. That's if they manage to get under the cap. So that's what they're looking at as far as being cash strapped and why they have to make harsh cuts. So it's just interesting to me as to why Aaron Rodgers would, would sign such a massive deal, perhaps the reason it's taking so long to sift through is because he's deferring or converting a number, uh, you know, a large number of the salary into different bonuses, so it won't hit the cap as hard, giving him an opportunity to bring in uh, different players for the team. That seems like it would make sense. Why sign an extension, pushing into your 40s if you don't have a real opportunity to win, especially when you've been disgusted with the on-field product around you so far? So that's probably what we're looking at as far as this contract, I'd imagine there's going to be a number of stipulations in there that will be malleable with that, that cap, cap flexibility. I want to touch briefly on Kelvin Ridley and all the comments that have come out on his sports gambling and his one-year suspension that have resulted from him placing three, or reported three parlays over Thanksgiving while he was away from the team for mental health issues and was caught. So he did receive a year-long suspension. And unfortunately, that's appropriate. You can't have someone interfering with or giving the illusion that the game is being rigged. You just can't. You can't have someone messing with the product. There are a lot of folks comparing the two-game suspension of Ray Rice the four-game suspension of Greg Hardy, the six games for Adrian Peterson, six games for Elliott for, you know, various forms of abuse that we all know about very well. And, of course, the weed smoking of Josh Gordon. There was multiple seasons. At this point, that's all lazy arguments. We all know the NFL mishandled all those incidents. In the case of marijuana, that was to the letter of the law. Marijuana is, was on a long list of substances that could not be used. It was known. And plenty of players did not get caught using it, I'm sure. We know that if these events happened again today, they would not be handled the same way. So we can't keep dragging it up and using them as a point of reference. Well, we know that point of reference keeps changing. It's just lazy journalism or a lazy 
point of reference when we know it was mishandled the first time and it would change should it happen again it's no longer an accurate point of reference to this particular case it has been made clear that NFL coaches managers players are not to gamble and you can't give the illusion that you might be interfering with games or results. The product very much hinges on the fact that nothing is being messed with. And it's very unfortunate for Ridley, who's in a very difficult spot at the time, that all these sports books have been working with the NFL to make sure that this doesn't happen. So he was reported, surely reported, to the NFL. Now, a lot of sports gambling is going to actually help the NFL. It will create more viewership, which will in turn create more lucrative TV deals, which will in turn create a bigger cap, which will in turn allow teams to sign bigger contracts, which will in turn get more money into the hands of players. So it may not be immediate, but partnerships with sports books and gambling sites will actually end up in the players' hands. So if they just don't gamble, they will actually see this reflected in their contracts, in theory, down the line. I wish all the best to Kelvin Ridley. He can appeal and hopefully get his game sentence shortened and maybe return to the field if he's feeling up to it. So all the best to Calvin Ridley in getting him safe in a safe space and back on the field if appropriate. All right, March Madness time. Let's get to the God. First of all, Gonzaga, the West Coast Conference, the WCC. They've already locked up their spot. That was as of last week. They're the number one seed in that tournament. They won over St. Mary's, a team who beat them a couple weeks previous. Gonzaga should have locked up the number one overall seed we will see tomorrow. St. Mary's presumably has a strong enough resume to make it in. It's possible that we will see San Francisco in there as well. Santa Clara, not a strong enough resume. Will presumably be a three-bit league there in the West Coast. In the Big South, we have the mighty Longwood Lancers at 22-6, and six, the number one seed there in the Big South tournament and they did win the auto bid four losses in quad three and four oh and two in quad one and two not a particularly exciting team both justin hill and isaiah wilkins made the all-conference first team justin hill averaging 14 points just under five rebounds per game and isaiah wilkins averaging about 13.6 boards per game so those two will need to contribute tremendously if this team is to make any advancement in the NCAA tournament. That's the first appearance for the Longwood Lancers. In the CAA, fifth-seeded Delaware grabs the auto bid, knocking off number one seed Townsend, 69-56, to and a blowout win. And UNC Wilmington, who's actually the favorite to win coming into the season in the championship, this squad is highlighted by Jameer Nelson Jr., son, of course, of Jamar Nelson, 
whose highlight in the NBA was that 2009 Magic team that made the finals uh, based from Dwight Howard when he was younger, uh, surrounding him with perimeter shooters, you know, one in, four out, Dwight in the post and, and four shooters. That was kind of the height of Jamal Nelson's career, for those who remember. And he was in tears in the audience as his son guided the Blue Hens to an NCAA bid. Delaware is 21-12. and 12. Again, not a particular exciting team. His son did make the all-conference first team. He averages about just under 14 points per game, about five boards. Again, Delaware Blue Hens, not a particularly exciting team entering the tournament as the five seed in the CAA uh, conference. Not sure if they'll be a 16 seed. Maybe they'll make their way up to a 15 seed because there are only six spots, of course, for 16 seeds. So we'll see about that. Towson getting bumped will be a little bit of a disappointment at 25-8. and eight. Uh, And a couple quad two wins, they look like the type of team that might have been able um, to possibly pull an upset in the NCAA tournament. Um, but we won't have the Towson Tigers in, probably in the NIT. Also in all exciting news, Wright State, the fourth seed in the Horizon League, knocked off number one Cleveland State, number three Northern Kentucky, and number five Oakland. They were combined 0-4 against Cleveland State and Northern Kentucky in the regular season, but they did knock them both off in the tournament to grab the auto bid. So the Wright State Raiders at 20-13 with 12 combined quad three and four losses would probably be a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. However, Missouri Valley, Loyola Chicago, entered as the fourth seed, a little bit in the danger zone of making the tournament if they did not grab the auto bid. Knocked off, knocked off the top seed in northern Iowa. Uh, Razor Cats, or whatever the hell they're called. The number two, Missouri State, and the number three seed, Drake. This is arguably a top 20 defense. They hold opponents to about 41% shooting and just under 62 points per game. Uh, but the engine that really makes this go is Lucas Williamson. All first team, all Defensive player, he's really the unit that makes this team go. Probably not as deep as in previous years. Uh, Williamson is averaging 14 points, five boards, three assists, on almost 40% three-point shooting at 45% field goal shooting from the field. Again, great defensive team here in the first year for Coach Valentine, uh, but we'll see what kind of run uh, Loyola Chicago, Chicago can make. Certainly capable of a win. We'll see it's capable of a couple, depending on matchups. In the Northeast, Bryant, the number one seed, absolutely annihilated Wagner, the two seed, 70-43. to 43. There was a brawl in the stands that delayed play for about a half an hour. Uh, really a tough scene there. We don't need to see the crowd fighting uh, and instigating players to get involved, too. Almost had a player in the stands. Peter Kiss is the leading scorer for Bryant, and he averages just over 20 points per game. He averages 25 points per game. Not a great three-point shooter, under 30%, 45% from the field. He dropped 34 points in the blowout win and was really showing off. So he's he might be quite a, a showman and have a few highlights if Bryant uh, does anything in the tournament. So number one seed Bryant out of Northeast. Murray State out of Ohio Valley, another team that can make some noise, undefeated in conference play. They knocked out both Belmont and Moorhead State. Those were two teams 
that possibly at one point in the season could have grabbed uh, at-large bids had they not won the tournament. Schedules are probably too weak now. They're not even in the discussion, so they will be possible NIT candidates. This team, about top 20 scoring team, putting up just under 80 points per game and shooting just under 48%. They do have two top shooters. K.J. Williams uh, is putting up 18 points per game with eight boards. 54% uh, from the field, 33% from three. And Tavion Brown is averaging just under 17 points per game with five and a half boards, almost 40% from three. And Justice Hill, 13 points per game. A lot of shooters. They have shooters that can put up points. They can move the ball. Murray State will be talked about a lot in tournament coverage, and it's a team that will be able to certainly win games. It would be a disappointment if they don't pull an upset somewhere. This is a team that can move up to a 12 seed, possibly. Colgate out of the Patriot League, the number one seed, knocked off number two seed, Navy, 74 to 68. This team is number two in the country and three-point percentage at just over 40% per game. Could be interesting in the tournament, maybe, maybe not. 22 and 11 overall, 0 for 2 in quad one and one quad to win on one attempt. So one and two overall in the top two quads. We'll see about Colgate going into the tournament. Out of the Southern Conference, Chattanooga will be talked about. A number one seed, another team that would have been a bummer if they didn't make the tournament. Won 64 to 63 in overtime on a half-court heave over two-seed Furman that had me jumping up and down on my couch. Very exciting. Very exciting. So Chattanooga, the mocks. They're led by 20-point-per-game scorer Malichi Smith. So this is a team that shoots almost 47% from the field, 35% from three. Could be a very dangerous team heading into the tournament. Watch out for Chattanooga to bump up to 13 seed, maybe a 12 seed. Another dangerous team as well. And speaking of danger, South Dakota State would have been a 30-win team just about in the NIT had they not won the Summit League outright over North Dakota State. Number two in the nation in scoring at ju just under 87 points per game and number two in field goal percentage at 52.5%. This is the best three-point shooting team in the country by a mile at 44.9%. Douglas Wilson averages 16.5 points per game on 40% shooting. Uh, Baylor Shimiman, I'm not going to get that name right, 16 points per game on 47% from three. Both shoot over 50% overall from the field. This is a very efficient shooting team. Very dangerous, very efficient, won't take bad shots. Size might be a problem, but this is a team that could be a 12 seed in the tournament. Against the right five seed, could, could win a game, could maybe win a couple games. South Dakota State Jackrabbits might be the most dangerous mid-major team in the field. But keep an eye out. South Dakota State, Chattanooga, Colgate, Loyola Chicago. Could be some interesting teams here. Murray State as well. Georgia State won the Sun Belt as the three seed. Not much to say about the Sun Belt. was very much a... Uh, up and down conference. They'll probably be a 16 seed. They're 15 and 10 overall, 
eight losses between quadrant, uh, quadrant three and four. Top seed, Texas State, number two seed, App State, both knocked out. No major losses there in the long run. A-10 did have a very unique situation. Uh, where Beller, Bellarmine, I'll never get that right, Bellarmine won over Jacksonville, but they will not get the auto bid because they're leaving the conference and they're being restricted from getting the auto bid for the conference and making the tournament, uh, which is a severe punishment, I think, uh, but it's a league rule and a rule for a few leagues. So the regular season winner, not the runner-up of the tournament, but the regular season winner, Jacksonville State, who was knocked out one round into the tournament, will actually be heading to the NCAA tournament rivers and the a sun so unfortunate for bellarmine but jacksonville state will be heading to the ncaa tournament and the jacksonville state gamecocks are actually fifth in the country in three-point percentage at 38.8 percent don't really expect them to make a whole lot of noise though but just keep that in mind so what are you watching just before Selection Sunday as we're wrapping up tournaments and keeping an eye on my bubble? As I'm recording this right now, Vermont is about to knock off UMBC to wrap up the American East Conference on ESPN2. The Catamounts have made a meal of lower-level competition this year. They are 26-5, and five, uh, not including these conference wins, of course. I believe they're pushing 30 wins, if I'm not mistaken now. Only one conference lost in the American East. They are a combined 25-3 and three, uh, in lower conference losses, so they are not without their blemishes. They have one quad two uh, victory, one and two altogether in quad one and two uh, games. So this is a team that hasn't had a lot of opportunities to play higher-level competition, might be able to win a few games um, at the NCAA tournament. We'll see. We'll see. The first round of what I believe is the inaugural Ivy League tournament is wrapping up as well. That tipped off at 11. The Ivy League previously did not have a tournament. The regular season winner just went to the NCAA tournament, won the auto bid. Last year, of course, the Ivy League did not play with the pandemic. They canceled all sports. This year, the tournament kicked off just today with the top four seeds, as far as I can tell. Number one seed Princeton and number four Cornell tipped off at 11. And at two o'clock following that, it'll be Yale and Penn on ESPNU. So keep an eye on that, I guess. Ivy League doesn't exactly make noise in the NCAA tournament, but you can certainly put that on your watch plate as something to flip over. In the MEAC on ESPN2 at 1 o'clock, we will have top-seeded Norfolk State, who's made it a regular occurrence to pop into the NCAA tournament, playing number 7 Coppin State. Coppin State has actually knocked out the number 2 and 3 seeds en route to the championship. But keep an eye out for Old Norfolk State. They knocked off uh, Missouri as a number two seed a few years back, but Norfolk State could make another appearance in the NCAA tournament. As far as the A-10, they play today. Semifinals, 1 o'clock and 3.30 doubleheader on CBS Sports Network. Top-seeded Davison has been 
phenomenal this year. They'll be playing number five seed St. Louis, who is building a case to maybe sneak into the tournament. Chances aren't good. Chances are very slim. But those two will be playing the early one o'clock game. At 3.30, it will be in number two seed Dayton and number six seed Richmond. Again, not good chances for either. Dayton has taken some bad losses this year. Of note, the three seed in the tournament was VCU. They're going to have a hard time getting into the tournament. They lost 75-63 to to Richmond in an earlier round. Also, St. Bonaventure, who's top 25 coming into the season, lost by a point to St. Louis. So those two, St. Bonaventure probably out of the tournament. VCU is going to have a hard, hard time. So if the A-10 is going to get anyone in other than Davison, they're going to have to win the tournament and knock Davison out of it altogether and grab the auto bid, most likely. The A-10, of course, usually a very strong conference. Some years we get as many as three, even four teams in, of course, St. Louis, Dayton, Richmond. VCU, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure, uh, George Mason, all teams that we know uh, because they've made runs at various times over the years in the tournament. But Davison is the top team this season. They are led by Michigan State transfer Foster Lawyer, who's putting up 16.5 points per game on 44% shooting from three. And Young Lee, who's putting up 16 points per game on almost 40% shooting from three. This is a great three-point shooting team, 38.7% from the floor. Fun team to watch, 26-5 and five overall. Be great to see them, um, if not win the tournament and, and get a second auto-bid team from the A-10 in there that could make some noise. If they lock it up and win the whole thing, it'd be great to see them make a run in the NCAA tournament. The Big Ten, which I'm starting to lose confidence in, is having a true Final Four team. They will be playing at 1 o'clock on CBS, doubleheader, ninth-seeded Indiana and fifth-seeded Iowa, who's capable of putting up a boatload of points, hitting over 100 uh, in the game against Northwestern. Following that will be number 7, MSU, and number 3, Purdue. You tell me which of those teams you have a lot of confidence in heading into the NCAA tournament. Purdue, who can't play defense. Michigan State, who can't play offense. Iowa, who's... All of a sudden, surging might be the best team in the conference. Indiana, who's hanging on for dear life, I don't know. But Indiana took out Michigan uh, and probably popped their bubble. And Michigan's almost surely an IT team at this point. And took out number one, Illinois. Michigan State bumped off number two, Wisconsin. They did knock off the Badgers once in the regular season as well. Purdue will have an opportunity to improve its seeding. Indiana is probably in the tournament at this point, but will have an opportunity to lock itself in. Not much else to say about the Big Ten tournament. Michigan's probably out now. Rutgers is probably out of the NCAA tournament. So that's the Big Ten tournament right now. SEC, much more fun. Texas A&M and Florida on opening day was a kind of a bump out game at Texas A&M knocked off Florida in overtime 83 to 80 and turned around and punched out Auburn 67 to 62 they had a massive lead early and hung on late uh, Arkansas crushed LSU 79 to 67 those two play each other today starting at one o'clock on ESPN that's eight seed at Texas A&M who probably still needs another win to make sure it makes the NCAA tournament. They weren't even in the conversation earlier, but that's what these tournaments can do. You compile a number of wins. 
to really not only move yourself into the bubble conversation, but into the tournament altogether. So number eight seed Texas A&M, number four seed Arkansas, who is also surging at one o'clock today ESPN, followed by number two seed Tennessee and number three seed Kentucky. Those should be excellent, excellent games. And on ESPN2, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., is the ACC doubleheader. That's the AAC doubleheader. My apologies. That's number one seed Houston, who has gone most of the season without its top two players due to injury. And number five seed Tulane. Houston's going to have an interesting seeding proposition heading into the NCAA tournament. Great defensive team. They're only one and four against quad one teams. They are eight and one against quad two but only one in four against the top quad, which is not impressive at all for a team that's 27 and five overall. We're going to see what the hell happens with Houston seeding wise and tournament play altogether. In the five o'clock game, two seed SMU and three seed Memphis, who have presumably both played their ways into the NCAA tournament. We will see Memphis had turmoil early with Amani Bates enrolling and lineup issues and just all kinds of problems. They're one of the worst turnover teams in the country. Early on, they cleaned it up a little bit. We'll see about what the Memphis Tigers can do uh, and SMU as well. But possibly three of those four teams already in the tournament. Not necessarily a play out for SMU and Memphis, but a win would certainly be a lock, I would think, in for whoever wins that game at 5 o'clock. But that's the 3-5 and five semifinal AAC ESPN2 today. At 4 p.m. on ESPNU, we have a rather shocking MAAC final with second seed St. Peter's and fourth seed Monmouth. Monmouth, of course, made the tournament just a couple years back. It was an amusing group. Uh, Ionia was the number one seed coached by Rick Paterno, and they will not be in the NCAA tournament. They were upset by a point by ninth seed Raider uh, earlier in the week. So they will not be in the NCAA tournament. They were a heavy, heavy favorite to win the conference, which they did, but they lost in the conference tournament. So they will not grab the auto bid and they will not grab an at-large bid. Ionia and Rick Paterno, we will not get any storylines or any coverage of him uh, returning to the NCAA tournament. So gone. Ionia, Rick Paterno, gone. We'll get either St. Peter's or Monmouth. That game, 4 o'clock, ESPNU, MAAC Championship. At 5 o'clock, number one Texas and number three Texas Tech in the Big 12 Championship on ESPN. The conference as a whole has seemed to be fading as a bit a bit recently. Kansas beat TCU 75-62. to uh, TCU did beat Kansas in the first round. It was probably already in without that win, but they will be in the NCAA tournament for sure. Texas Tech beat Oklahoma 56-55. to Oklahoma had a shot to make a run, uh, to build a strong enough resume to make the NCAA tournament. They're just not, not going to make it. So Kansas, Texas Tech. Kansas could work its way up to a one seed if it's not there already by beating Texas Tech. So just seeding at play here. Kansas did lose to Texas Tech on the road by eight earlier in the season, and they did win by three points in double overtime. So Texas Tech winning here would not be a stunner. So it could be an interesting game. We'll see. 
The Mountain West has been tightly contested the entire season and will get multiple teams into the NCAA tournament. The top-seeded Boise State Broncos will be playing in the final on Saturday night. They will be playing the Aztecs of San Diego State. Boise State is 26-7. San Diego State is 23-7. It was a little bit on the bubble, but they will surely be in the tournament now. That is at 6 o'clock on CBS, the Mountain West Championship in prime time. That will be an excellent game. Both teams, again, in the NCAA tournament already. So will be playing for seeding more than anything. Matt Bradley for the Aztecs puts up 17 points and five boards per game. He's a 41% shooter from three. He'll be exciting to watch. But other than that, the Aztecs pretty much play basketball like they play football, a whole lot of defense. And the Broncos have three guys that average double digits in scoring, but that will be an enjoyable game to watch. 6.30, the SWAC championship on ESPNU. Texas Southern, Akron State, there'll be a 16th seed. Not a whole lot to see there, but that is the SWAC championship, 6.30 ESPNU. Also at 6.30, the Big East championship. This should be interesting. Another hotly contested conference, uh, largely Villanova and Providence rolled through, but the kind of uh, middling group was very interesting. Villanova did beat Providence in both games in the regular season. Providence missed a number of games due to the pandemic and illness, but Providence was still the outright championship due to winning percentage in a weird twist. However, Providence was hammered last night by Creighton, 85 to 58. Creighton also beat Marquette 74 to 63, and they are rolling at the championship here as the four seed in the bracket, Villanova the number two. They survived UConn 63 to 60 and St. John 66 to 65 in a game they won at the free throw line. So Villanova surviving, Creighton rolling big teams. We'll see who wins there. Uh, the fun storyline in this uh, this week on this in this conference was Butler, who was the ninth seed. They did beat Xavier 89-82 in overtime, pushing Xavier presumably from in the bracket to out of the bracket. So tough loss there for the X-Men, uh, losing in overtime to Butler, the ninth seed, and Butler nearly beat Providence themselves as well. But Creighton and Villanova, Big East Championship on Fox. Both teams were already in coming into the tournament, but 6.30 Fox, Villanova-Creighton, Big East Championship game. Also at 6.30, Conference USA. Three teams would have been fun to see if they make it into the NCAA tournament. North Texas, Middle Tennessee, and top seed UAB, the Blazers. Here we do have the UAB Blazers, number one, and Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech and North Texas, who holds teams to the number one defensive teams and holding teams to fewest points per game in the country. But they lost that badly yesterday, 42-36, to 36, as Louisiana Tech beat them by a couple buckets. And UAB survived triple overtime against Middle Tennessee, 102-98. to They are 24-7 overall and 4-3 in quad 1-2 and two games. They do have a winning record. This is a strong team. It looks like they could do some damage. It would be great if they can survive Louisiana Tech's smothering defense and make it into the tourney. It would be great to see. 
7.30 on ESPN2, we will get the MAC Championship. Toledo would have been a fun team to see in the NCAA tournament, but they took a tumble yesterday, 70-62 to to fourth-seeded Akron. That's who we'll see tonight against number two seed Kent State. So keep that in mind as a channel flipper. At 8 o'clock, we do have the championship game for the Big Sky as well on ESPNU. That is the top-seeded Montana State. Uh, Cougars, I believe, and North, Carol North Colorado, who I believe is the Bears, I believe that the fourth seed. So a couple smaller schools there. The Big West Conference Championship is at 8.30 between Long Beach State and Cal, Cal State Fullerton on ESPNU. 8.30, ESPN, monster game, ACC Championship. Duke, no surprise, overwhelming favorite, best team in the conference, and Virginia Tech, who has gone on a tear. They knocked off North Carolina last night. They were not even in discussion, not even thought about uh, to make the NCAA tournament, but of course, this is why we have these conference championships. This is one of the few teams, uh, maybe one of the only teams uh, in the power five, six, seven, depending on how you consider the basketball conferences here that has really built a resume to put itself in the tournament. They survived on a last-minute bucket in the opening round to beat Clemson 76-75, a team they lost to days earlier on the road. Then they beat Notre Dame 87-80 and North Carolina 72-59, really damaging uh, North Carolina, who again has only two quad one wins. Notre Dame, who's seemingly in the tournament, but really doesn't have a great quality schedule either. There shouldn't be a sure thing. Wake Forest lost earlier in the tournament. They shouldn't be a sure thing as well. So it's really up in the air who the ACC is actually going to get in. Presumably it was Duke, North Carolina, uh, Notre Dame, Miami, probably Wake Forest coming in. Now there's all kinds of question marks. Probably Duke, North Carolina, maybe Notre Dame, probably Miami, maybe, maybe not Wake Forest coming in, probably not Virginia. And Virginia Tech here has now added three, I believe they're all quad one wins, to the resume. A win over Duke could put them in the NCAA tournament. So this is actually a monster game. Virginia Tech's resume coming into the tournament was just completely empty. They were 2-5 and five in quad one, 6-5 and five in quad two at this point. But they were 22-12 and 12 overall with 19 of those wins coming over teams that are not going to be in the NCAA tournament with a possibility of three of those wins over teams maybe, maybe in the tournament. The best win was a road win at Miami. So the past couple days have doubled the quality wins on their schedule, the real quality wins. Sometimes just looking at quad one and, and quad two as a number is not really that helpful. So win tonight over Duke is still probably a must-have to grab the auto bid to make the NCAA tournament. The quality of, of the wins just isn't there. A loss today, despite three wins just to make the final, probably puts them in the NIT. So this is actually a massive, massive game for the Hokey Pokies tonight. Their senior forward, Kiwi Aluma, uh, will still be a massive uh, piece of this win, averaging over 15 points per game and shooting almost 53% uh, from the floor. He put up 18 points against North Carolina, 20 points against Notre Dame, and 19 points against Clemson. He's going to be critical if they aren't going to win tonight.
we wrap up the evening with mostly small conferences, uh, just wrapping up teams that probably won't have any impact on the NCAA tournament. Fox, 9 o'clock. Number one seeded Arizona and number two seed USC, USU, oh my Lord, UCLA of the Big 12. Our last big game of the night. Of course, USC has proved itself to, to be the third fiddle the third wheel in this group here, so they will certainly be in the NCAA tournament, but they did lose to UCLA last night. Colorado couldn't make a run. This will be a three-bid league. Number one, Arizona. Number two, UCLA. Both who play tonight and UCLA. Arizona can play itself up to a one seed. UCLA possibly up to a two seed if they win. So big seeding implications here. A couple more small games to finish out the evening. 9.30 will be the Southland Championship between Texas A&M. Corporal Texas and MCC, Corporal Christie, and Southeast Louisiana. And we do have a 10 o'clock between Abilene Christie and New Mexico State. Teams that both have impressive records. Uh, Abilene is 23 and 9, and New Mexico State is 25 and 6. But we haven't seen them have opportunities against high quality opponents, uh, and they certainly don't have the wins against high quality opponents. So not a whole lot to, to gauge by there. We will have to see what happens should one of them make the NCAA tournament. They won't be high picks for me uh, in early early estimations, pre-biased. Uh, but once we see the matchups, I'll make my judgment there. But right now, not highly regarded in my book. I'll be back throughout the week as the tournament rolls on. I'm very, very, very excited for that. Reach out to me on the socials. Let me know your thoughts questions, concerns, certainly your comments. I'd like to know your thoughts as we progress through the tournament and into Selection Sunday. I am so excited. Level up and watch that beat turn into a